Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So proud that you decided to come back and listen to us. Also, if you're new here, welcome for the very first time. Hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you get something out of it today. If you're in danger, please do not listen to the podcast. Hang up, dial 911 or your local crisis line number. Also, I'd like to give out the National Domestic Violence Hotline number. That number is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. If you need an advocate and you need some information, you can call their line. If they're busy, hang up and dial. Find out who your local crisis line is in your state because I feel like that that's so important um, for each state to know the line, the, the hotline numbers and the crisis line numbers that they can reach out into their own area, okay? Um, another really great resource is if you've got um, internet and you can get online in most of the majority of the United States and around the world, we do. So you can look up domesticshelters.org for all of their fabulous resources um, that are provided on their website. Okay, so let me get on into the podcast. Today's special guest, her name is Joanna Banana. Um, I love that name, by the way. That's so beautiful. Um, and she is a mother, a marketer, a survivor, a writer, an author, and just an all-around all awesome human being. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, so, um, so I'm so proud that I have you here. And I would like for you to kind of like, if you want to talk about your story, I'd love for you to share um, something with the, the listeners on the podcast about who you are and kind of give them a little bit of what's going on with you in your neck of the woods. And, you know, kind of like let them know, because I know, you know, I just said you're a survivor. You're also an advocate. You are, so, are also a DV crisis counselor, pretty much. Yep. So oh, that is true. Absolutely. Um. And so I became an advocate and a counselor um, through my domestic shelter, which I loved how you said at the beginning, how reach out to find out your state's line and your state mm -hmm. shelters. I think domesticshelters.org does a beautiful job with providing that information to everyone. Um, I live in Connecticut, so that is my state. And in Connecticut, the way it works, I know a lot of states are different, but in Connecticut, we have one main agency, so the Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence. But then we have 18 domestic violence shelters underneath that umbrella that serve the towns. Um, so it is really important to try to be able to locate the people nearby, because in case you do have to, like you were saying before, if you have to leave, if you have to flee, if you need somewhere to go, if you need services, these places are there and they're funded by, I mean, a lot of our tax dollars in order to help people do these very things. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel if there's something wrong and you need help, or maybe you don't even know if you need help, but something kind of feels a little bit off. They are wonderful resources to be able to kind of really iron out and go through um, some of the, the scarier parts of it to, to try to figure out what's going on and, and see if you actually do need to get help. Wow. Um, but I will, that, that'll be my little, my little advocacy speech there. Oh no, wonderful. <laughs> um, but to go into um, why I got in this work, um, I, I am a survivor of domestic violence. Um, I I left in 2019, so I think that was the year you started your podcast. So yes. we're on a similar yeah. here. We are on the five-year plan. Mm -hmm. um, I had no idea for the entirety of my relationship just kind of how toxic it was. Mm -hmm. I knew um, the person that I had married since I was a child, and I knew all kind of the ins and outs of his personality. And I just, sometimes you just, you just think that 
well, this is just the way they are. And this is just something I have to deal with if I choose to be in this relationship. But it, it doesn't start out really scary, which I think is the, the part that people don't realize. Um, I know I've heard a lot of people say like, well, why didn't you just leave? And all those kinds of questions mm-hmm. that get asked of victims and of survivors, which is just so unfair because at the beginning, you don't have any of the really scary things happening. It's it's a slow, insidious process. At least it was in my case. I, I don't want to um, pretend to speak for everyone. Um, but in my case, it was very slow. And it didn't get really, really scary until it got really, really scary. And I had to call the police and I had to flee. Um, there was gun violence involved. And, and it got to the point, I took a, um, a mosaic threat assessment and I was eight out of 10. And the chances of it increasing, the chances of it getting more physically violent, and the chance of death was even on there, which Mm. I had no idea I was in that much danger until, like I said before, I went to my local domestic violence shelter, and they were asking me questions, and we were going through these different points, and I'm, I, I was struck, I was awestruck at how dangerous of a situation I was in, and I had no idea. So I think figuring that part out for me was just um, so eye-opening that that I want to share my story with others because there are probably so many other people out there that have these really scary situations that are just making excuses that don't even realize that their lives are actually in danger. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. You know, and that danger assessment test is important. Um, It's important for a few reasons, you know. Um, I, we all like to minimize our our problems, you know, and, and I think that we like to minimize the threat of danger because no one wants to know to think that, you know, I'm in danger. My life could be in danger, you know. So let me minimize this, um, you know, type of abuse because I don't I just really don't even want to deal with that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of women do. And that. I mean, that's psychological, right? Sure. So. Yeah, it, it helps us survive. <clears throat> right. So if you're in a relationship and a person puts the toilet paper roll on facing up and you like the toilet paper roll facing down, the mechanism in your brain that says, okay, this is not the end of the world. I will just flip the toilet paper roll mm. is the same mechanism at work when, when you're getting screamed at or berated or you're frightened or you're being hurt. It's the same mechanism that says, oh, well, I can just change this and it'll be okay. So our brains are actually wired for community and for love and for acceptance. Mm -hmm. So we do make some of these decisions, not because we're flawed in any way, but because we're humans and we have brains and our brains are trying to keep us in survival mode or trying to keep us in the group. I think it's just the part when it gets to be scary or life threatening or, or life defeating or deflating. Right. Um, that's when, when you need to be able to take a step back. And, and that's why these, these shelters and these programs are just so valuable. Um, mm-hmm. because for the first time you're getting that assessment, you're getting that, that helicopter view that someone else looking into your life and saying, no, this part is not okay. You are not okay. Right. We need to figure out a way to get you safe and get you, um, growing and thriving and moving on to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was the defining moment for you? when I had to call the police, um, I was scared for my life and it wasn't uncommon for me to, um, in, in his like fits of rage to like run with my kids and hide behind the door and lock the door and just wait until he calmed down. Um, and, and just hope and pray that like, it wasn't going to be bad, but there was one incident where I had to do that and he was screaming about guns. He wanted to find his gun. He needed his gun. And at that point, I had um, 
I talked to several crisis lines, not domestic violence, because I didn't realize that was the issue, which yeah. is so mind blowing. Now, if I knew then what I know now, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I, I, I was so scared. I called the police. I called the crisis lines, and they said that we had to hide the guns. Was the first step. So I had them all hidden, and he knew they were hidden, and he agreed to hide them because he agreed things were getting scary. Mm -hmm. uh, but then for some reason, this one day, he kind of flipped, and I felt so scared. I said, I even told him, like, if you don't stop, I'm going to call the police. I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm petrified. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't stop. So I did the one thing that I, that I had to do. Um, and then after that, I never went, I never stepped foot back into um, a home with him ever again. That was the last day we cohabitated. I um I went to my aunt's house. Thankfully, I didn't have to go to a shelter and, and stay at a shelter. I had family that was there to support me and help me, which was um, beyond um, helpful in that situation. Absolutely. Um, but I, I stayed there for a month and then kind of tried to do couples therapy. I even I, I mean, I really wanted it to work so bad. Um, I did five sessions of couples therapy to try to work through it. And I had personal therapy on the side of that. Mm -hmm. And um my personal therapist, every time we'd be done, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like he just blames me for everything. And we walked through all the steps together and she was showing me like the patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think it was so much easier once I was not living there because I could see it all in a text message, right? Like there was no yeah. more of the undercurrents of like living with someone like that, where the eggshells and the, and the demeaning and the silence and like mm -hmm. those kinds of things were all taken away. So when I just had the raw data and I was looking at this one conversation we had in front of a therapist, these text messages, these emails, I was able to see it in a more full picture. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when I, I kind of, I knew that was it. I knew that was the end. Um, and I mean, it took a very, very long time to finally get divorced, um, to get the restraining order approved, to, to keep myself safe. Um, and I mean, now it's five years later, I'm still not totally safe. I know you and I have talked mm -hmm. briefly, but family court system. So if you have children yeah. involved, you, you really don't get to leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're kind of forced into it from different angles and in different ways, but I'm doing the best I can um, yeah. with the cards that I've been dealt. And I feel like in some, I don't know, universal or magical way, I'm, I, I need to live this life because I need to make sure other people don't have to go through all this pain and struggle that I'm going through. Yeah. And I have a voice. I'm going to use my voice. And this is what God, the universe, Allah, whoever you believe in, this is uh, the path that I need to be on. So I'm here. Absolutely. Wonderful. I'm proud you're here. You know, Thank I you. mean, <laughs> because it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage to be here, you know, and I think that people um just think that okay well okay she's doing this or she you know and i and i i kind of i used to fight with myself about you know i you know i'm from a, a small community in alabama not trying to change the subject about this but um you know i i kind of feel like okay people see the podcast do they really know what this is about do they really understand you know i don't i still feel like we got to do this work because people are still not educated enough. You know, they're, they're just not here with, with us. And, and we may not ever get people's opinion swayed about domestic violence, but at the end of the day, the more we use our voices, the more women can get out, the more women can get help. They can use their courage and their bravery to seek um, a better life, you know, cause there is a better life out here, you know, absolutely. and um, so through your protection or let me ask you, um, 
Did you feel protected through your protection order? How was that experience? I mean, I know you're still going through this, but. Yeah, so for me, when I first went to get the protection order, and I'm not sure all states are different, so Mm -hmm. I only know my story, so I don't know if this aligns with how you guys do it, Um, but I had to go apply for it, and then you get a temporary. Mm -hmm. So like within the same day that you put in the paperwork, they will say you're temporarily allowed um, to have this, and then you have to go to court and then like fight about whether or not you are supposed to be protected it's kind of a wild scenario um but i felt the first day um i felt kind of vindicated in a way because i had um just to to back it up i had i had uh gone to a mediated divorce attorney so we Mm -hmm. were both sitting in front of the divorce attorney to say like let's just do it without going to court which i naively thought at that time would have worked (laughs) um that ended in me getting screamed at in front of this attorney, things being thrown at me. Um, like it was scary, but I mean, that was the the life I knew from that relationship. Mm-hmm. So to me, I was like, Oh no, not again. She looked at me when he stomped out and was like, you need a protection order. He's going to hurt you. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh no, I'm fine. And she's like, you do. <laughs> she's wow. like, I've seen so many people get divorced. This isn't normal. So she actually called like seven different attorneys that she knew and found me an appointment right away to get that taken care of. So I drove to this random person's office that I never met at that point in my life. I'm 5'8", so I'm pretty tall for a female. Mm -hmm. Um, I weighed 106 pounds because of all the stress Mm -hmm. of everything and, and, and dealing with everything I had been dealing with. My blood pressure was through the roof. I was having health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I walked into this attorney's office skinny, beaten down, and just not even sure what to do. And he wrote everything up. I dropped it off at the um, clerk's office. I waited there until 4.30, and they said, you got your temporary restraining order. Here it is. We'll serve him with it today. So then my attorney served the restraining order and the divorce paperwork in the same day so that I could just kind of get the ball rolling on all fronts. Yeah. But after that, I felt like I was, there was going to be so much that this order was going to help me with. But in hindsight, there were times that he went against it and no one ever did anything. It was like, oh, well, he didn't mean it. Oh, well, this was a mistake. Oh, well, we didn't see it. So there was never really anything that happened if the order was, I guess, is it breached or, or if they don't follow it, if they're in contempt, whatever it's called. It's called, um, um, I, go. I mean... So he never got in trouble for violating the protection order? Nope. Like, tell me what kind of violations he did. So, like, at that point, there was, like, supervised visitation in Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. So I was to drop the children off where they were going, Mm -hmm. and then I would leave, and then he would go. So we were never within 100 feet of each other. He would sit there and wait for me in a parking lot and stare at me. Um, He would show up early and just, like wait and like I would drive past and now like that that's not okay I would call the police and they'd be like well the kids are there now everything's fine now and I'm like yeah but he's not supposed to be there and they're like but did anything happen no okay so we're just gonna let it go this time that's and he wasn't supposed to like mm-hmm. send messages but he would mm-hmm. and he would make it about like he's like he had supervised visitation so like he was at someone's house I we did it with family and friends mm-hmm. and he would message me and be like can you tell me the weights of the children so I can get a car seat? 
A, he wasn't allowed to drive with the children at that point. He mm-hmm. had to be with the supervisor. Mm-hmm. And B, you're at someone's house. You can weigh the children when you have them. But it was his way of still trying to be in contact. This is my, obviously, interpretation. But it was his way of still having contact, but under the guise of saying it was about the children. Right. So like, he, And that wasn't just one thing. Like, there were other. That's just one example. Right. And when I would show that to the attorney, and I would say, like, he's not supposed to send me text messages, and this is what's happening. And they're like, well about the kids so like he found ways to break the protective order and get sympathy right Mm -hmm. and get people to be still on his side and say like oh well he's just trying to do the best he can so that part was very um i don't know the right word discouraging i guess like it's sure yeah scary scary you just realize at that point no one is going to help you with this like you got to do it by yourself and get the resources that you need because no one's going to hold your hand and make sure you're okay. So as far as him sitting yeah. there, I would call that stalking. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a form <laughs> so of, does. yeah. I mean, that's a form of stalking. So I mean, and, 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 you know, the police department and I'm not trying to discredit what they do up there. I'm sure they're amazing, but at the end of the day, they should have called it what it was and should have got him for violation of the protection order. So, you know, I, I probably would, as your, if I would have been your advocate and case manager at that time, I probably would have said, hey, listen, he violated the protection order, <laughs> you know, and uh, I mean. That's... And even in front of the judges, though, the judge at times would say, like, we're going to give him another chance. Like, oh, gosh. he said he didn't mean it. Mm. Like, so it's just, no. it's just. Yeah, that's not you, good. It's but... part of victim blaming. It's sure. Like... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm very proud that the uh, mediator was it an attorney and mediator you was telling me just there or yep. you was telling us yeah I'm very proud that that person was like no you've got to have a protection order you're in danger yeah. you're in danger it may it reminded me of like the ghost <laughs> whenever you would be going like you in danger girl you know I yeah. mean so I mean I'm proud that she was able to speak up for you and say hey listen me too. do this you got to do this she was your advocate at that moment so she was. she was absolutely kudos to her. Um, sorry, you've had such a hard time and I'm sorry that, um, that he didn't get a violation. He should have got a few violations. He should have got a lot three and it would have been a felony, you know? <laughs> so they just um, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I'm against that now. I don't, well, you know, we, we've spoke about my job and what I do and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, adamant about, people violating the protection order and when that is time to say yeah they're in violation um because how how are we gonna um say that we're protecting women when it's not being protected like when they're not being protected right when they're having to feel scared there should there should be nothing a woman should not feel fear in no time that they have a protection order yeah yeah that's where i put my foot down so don't want to go on no rant. So, um, yeah, but, uh, you said you're still, you're still kind of, I mean, you are, you're involved in, in the whole process still. Is the protection order still in effect? No. So after, so after one year, mm. you have to reapply again. Okay. So okay. at that point in my journey, mm-hmm. um, it was COVID. So okay. in order to do it, it was a very difficult thing because the courts were all closed. I had to have evidence of him currently doing things. Yeah. And we had just gotten like the, the divorce ended and it was like four or five months after that. So I'm like, do I really want to go back to court was my only I would have loved to have the protective order continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have loved to have that safety. 
but I feel like it wasn't worth it to me because the stress of going through court and the stress of telling your story, like I've had to tell my story to people who don't care and don't believe me in the system at least a dozen times. Yeah. And, and it gets so defeating when you tell it. And then one person believes you, you tell the same exact story and they're like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. It's just emotional abuse. I I actually have a custody evaluator in a paper that I have that said, um, I said he ripped a chandelier out of the ceiling and threw it at me while I was pregnant. She talked to him and he said he was drunk and it was just a drunken mistake. And that's what they wrote in the evaluation that he wasn't abusive. It was just a drunken mistake. And I was like, I don't know about you. I've had a few cocktails in my life. I've never ripped a furnishing out of a ceiling and thrown it at anybody. Like, that is not a mistake. You can't Uh, mistakenly do that. No. You can mistakenly crash your car into something. You can mistakenly fall down. But you can't mistakenly rip a fixture out of a ceiling. Absolutely no. No. So what that's doing is taking up for someone who's abusive. So exactly. And that's was, what these systems do. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I, I know. Um, I get it. And, and that's, that leads back to us still doing this work. And now you're on that journey of doing this work, you know, absolutely. I mean, we fight, we got to keep fighting for what's right. You know, right's right and wrong is wrong. And I think that people forget that. Like we, absolutely. For, people, people go through life and forget that. And I, I mean, I understand You have to give people grace and second chances and you have to forgive them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's a line, there's a fine line here, you know, I mean, where you have to, you have to make the decision about someone's uh, well-being. I mean, if it's, if it's hurting someone else, then no, there's no forgiveness in that and you should not overlook it. Absolutely. You know, so. It's a beautiful thing to think about. I like, I like to take a step back a lot and look at like a fuller perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think of, let's go two generations ago, right? Mm-hmm. So when I left, I had a place to go to get counseling for specifically on domestic violence. I had yeah. free therapy sessions from someone who was trained on this. Mm-hmm. I sold the marital house and with the proceeds of that and with my retirement fund, which I feel like I should never have had to empty that out to get divorced, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I had one. Two generations ago, there was no retirement fund that my great-great-grandmother could have used to get out of a relationship like that and purchase her own house with her own bank account and her own money. Absolutely I not. did that. Yeah. So at that point, they said, these are the things that we need so we can be safe. And then now we have those. So now it's my turn to say, thank you for giving me those things. I did get out. I'm alive, right? So in, in, a, in a big picture, I survived. I am alive. That's yeah. the lowest barometer of success, but I'm here. Now what do we need to do? So the next person not only survives, but they survive and they have an opportunity to live the life that they deserve free from the abuse, free from the mind games, free from the victim blaming. Now it's my turn to take that torch. Thank you to them. Let's go from here and make it even better. Absolutely. Amen. I would start clapping, but it might sound weird. So- <laughs> oh, when, you, when you go do a playback, you can hit one of the buttons. And- <laughs> <laughs> there the you button. go. Yeah, I could just throw in a couple of little claps. <laughs> I love that so much, Joanna. That was so great. I love that so much. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely right. That's it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, well, I mean, you know, and you were saying that and, and I'll say this same for me, same for me, but you know, back in 96, when I went through the horrible domestic violence that I withstood, 
I was 18. I was a kid. Like he was in his twenties. I was just a kid and I had a baby. Like, and I had never heard of what domestic violence is. Right. So I didn't even know what that word meant. I had no clue. Like I didn't even really know that I went through it until I got past like 26, 27. And then I was like, Oh, this is what I went. That's what I went through. And you know, I nearly made it. I almost let that stuff kill me. Like the pain, the DV, like all of it in combination almost took me out. So I know that desire, that burning desire to want to make things better, to make it right, to open up opportunities, to open up more doors, to, to, Mm -hmm. to educate, to help women because I'm on that same journey. And, you know, and it's, it's a weird journey, but it's a great journey, you know? And, and the people you meet are second to none. I feel like when you yes, meet a survivor yes. who wants to make this field in this in this area yes. a better place and an easier place to navigate, right. you meet someone who understands you. And 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 I'm sure you went through this with like, and I say these phrases, but the victim blaming, yeah, and people not mm-hmm. believing you. You tell sure. your story, and people that have known you for years are like, "You're exaggerating. Everything's fine. Oh, you yeah. need to stop. You need to get over it." Right. And when you have those comments constantly said to you and constantly said about you, you it, it breaks your soul a little bit. So when you find someone who you tell your story to, and they're like, "I get it. I've been there. What are we doing to change this?" Yeah, it's just like an automatic connection and an automatic soul connection and bond that I feel like it's it's magical in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I um I will share this little bit with you um that happened to me recently as an advocate um and case manager. Um, my job requires I go to protection order hearings with females with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if that happens, um, so, yeah. you know, defense attorneys for perpetrators are doing their job. Okay. They, they have a job to do. They're being paid. I get that. But at the same time, I'm a survivor and I'm an advocate and mm-hmm. you're stepping on sacred ground for me. And mm-hmm. when you victim shame and I've, and I've had this happen to me in the courtroom, I've had a defense attorney victim shame my client. Um, and that's a hard spot to be in, um, not only as a, uh, as an advocate, but as a survivor myself, because mm-hmm. I feel like you're slapping me in the face. Um, yeah. So, and I have twisted my body completely sideways and face down, <laughs> face forward. I'm not scared, uh, you know, but at the same time, I know that um, this person's being paid, right? So, but mm-hmm. we just... He, they, everyone needs educated because I fear, I feel like that that's the biggest problem. No, lack Absolutely. of education, lack of education, lack, uh, lack of knowledge f- and lack of empathy and compassion for victims, period. Yeah. You know, I mean, period. And I think too, it's also when you look at it from the defense attorney's perspective, mm-hmm. like they're only getting the conversation with the perpetrator, right? Sure. So they're getting yeah. their side of the story yeah, and they're just bringing that to light. Yeah. So I feel like it's just kind of like a megaphone for the same things that you've been told for so long. Yeah. I mean, even when I was on the stand, I was, they were, he was like, isn't it true that you have postpartum depression? My <sighs> son was two at that point. So mm-hmm. like, even if I did, I feel like it probably would have been phasing out, right. but I had been to a therapist for a year and a half and I was never diagnosed with having anything. Right. And I said, no. And he's like, well, I was told that you had that. And I'm like, who told you that? Where is the record that says that I have that? Mm Because I don't, I never have, but that's part of the like 
let's make her look unstable <clears throat> sure. so that anything she says doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they're like, isn't it true that you're on antidepressant medicine and, 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 and anti-anxiety medicine? And I was like, I was when I left, but now that it's been a year, I've been taken off all medication because I no longer have contact with the person who was creating that environment for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, but are you sure? Wasn't it just you? Like, cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, like, it's just wild to be put on. And, and, and I feel like, too, why do we do that to people? Like, if there's abuse, why are we sitting in the same courtroom as the person who did it with us, having all those same things repeated to us? And, and, and we're supposed to keep doing that. And I'm supposed to want to go through that again to get another protective order. Like, right. that's torture. It is. It is torture. I agree with you. I wish I had the answers. I really do. I mean, I wish I had the answers as to why we do this. Like, I, I do. Have you like... ever watched Harry Potter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of having a truth serum. That's what we need. We need to create some <laughs> sort of truth serum that we could just make the person drink, and then the story comes out that really happened, and then yeah. we're like, okay, this is what happened. This is what needs to go. But absolutely, in our systems, if you're a good liar, yeah, you could win. Absolutely. We are down to like a few, like we got 30 seconds left. Can you tell people um, where to find you if they need to figure out how sure. to find you with your work? Absolutely. So um, Joanna Banana, and it's spelled B-A-A-N-A-N-A. Um, so double A at the beginning. Um, I have a link tree. I have Instagram. I have um, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the major social media platforms. Um, and I would be happy to um, reach out and talk to anyone. I have a, um, I wrote my memoir about this experience. So that's going to be coming out by the end of the year, as long as editing goes as smoothly as I'm hoping it continues to go. Um, and I have a blog, I write a lot. So any, any way people want to try to get in touch, um, I'm sure you could put a link or something in the, um, in the show notes. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, hi, Joanna. We're back on recording. She got cut off, guys. Um, yeah, finish telling us where, where to find you, how to get information, those type things. Yeah, so um, Joanna Banana is my uh, my name. So it's J O A N N A B A A N A N A, and I am on all the major social media platforms: LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me there. I will be launching a website by the end of this year um, to promote my memoir that will be coming out. So um, keep your eyes peeled. As long as editing goes as smoothly as I'm hoping, it'll be done by the end of the year. Very good, very good. And and you know, when her book comes out, I'm I want to get a copy and, and I will um and y'all I'm not a huge reader, I'm just gonna throw it out there, but I will read good ones. So and I feel like this is gonna be amazing. So I, I will um promote her book on the on the podcast some. Like, you know, I can throw you your book up here and uh we can put it, you know, and I can talk about it some. So I'd be eternally grateful. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Joanna, for coming on the podcast today. And before you hang up, just wait on the line, but we're going to say goodbye guys. And um, yeah, don't, don't stay in these relationships guys. And I mean, I know it's easier for me to say to get out than it is for, you know, 
I can speak all day about someone leaving, but until you get ready, you're not going to be ready. But just, just remember your worth and remember how important your life is. Um, and you only and you're have, powerful. Yeah. And you're powerful and you have courage and you have bravery and, and you just have to find it within yourself. So y'all have a great day and I hope y'all enjoyed the podcast and I love you guys. Come back for the next one. Bye everyone.